All right, well, good morning again, and uh, welcome to Providence, graduates. Um, I am proud of you. All, I think we recognize 13 or 14 of you, but every single one of you is very, very proud of you guys. Some of you I've known for a shorter while. Some of you I've watched grow for almost eight years now, um, and it's been awesome to watch you guys grow, um, and I was just thinking about it. Eight years ago, remembering you guys eight years ago was not that long ago. Uh, and in seven years, my oldest will graduate. So that's going to go by fast. But very, very, very proud of you guys. Um, I, we only have a couple of minutes. Uh, I, I am cognizant of that fact. So we're going to not, I'm not going to preach a sermon, actually. We're just going to kind of do a devotional thought, kind of. We're going to be out of the text that we're in. If you're a guest at Providence, pretty much the way we roll is just opening up the Bible and making our way pretty much paragraph by paragraph, sometimes a couple of chapters at a time. But today, uh, I'm just really going to do kind of a, a devotional thought out of Luke chapter 5, and so if you have your Bibles, grab them. I know at least some of you have a Bible right here, uh, so grab those, make your way to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you, it's on page 559 in the Bibles that are in the seat back in front of you. Um, so this, what, what I want to talk about this morning, this devotional thought, kind of a homily, that I want to do. I want to drive a point home to everybody in this room, uh, but in particular, given the moment, given you know what's going on this morning, uh, graduates, I really want to drive this point home to you guys. It's for everybody, but I'm going to talk primarily to you guys today, though this is for everybody. So let's all jump in here together, because Chad's right. We are celebrating your graduation today, but that is not like a finish. It's a new starting line. Uh, some of you are going to go on to, you're going to start new careers right now. Some of you are going to go on to college. Um, others of you maybe are going to do some other things, but this is kind of a starting point um, for you. With whatever it is, it's a change, and it's a big one, a big, big change uh, in your life. And so I want to encourage you in whatever it is you're going to go do to throw yourself into it full bore, to engage fully, because the reality is it's not a grade, it's not a professor, it's not parents, it's not uh, a coach, any of those things that you're truly working for. Colossians 3 tells us that you are working for the Lord God. You are serving Christ. And so there's no area of lo laziness to be found in someone who's a Christ follower. You are serving the Lord Christ, and the way you work says a little bit about the God that you serve. And so I want to encourage you to engage full on, with all your heart, with all your mind, to, to, to put, to, to go after it, to engage. But at the same time, while you're engaging, you also have to take a moment to withdraw. This is the pattern we see in Jesus' life. He engages, and then he withdraws. He engages, and then he withdraws. And so that's all, those are the only two things we're going to talk about this morning, engaging and then withdrawing. So let's look at uh, what Christy just read. Let's look at it again. Particularly, we'll, we'll start with verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me in chapter 5. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And so this guy doesn't just have leprosy. It says he's full of leprosy. And I don't, I don't know how much you know about leprosy, but leprosy is not just uh, like some sores on your skin or whatever. Leprosy, someone who truly has leprosy, they've got pieces of their body falling off. So a friend of mine, uh, Dan Milam, I've known him for all, my best friend in the world, known him about 25 years, 
we were college roommates. He's the guy I usually go hiking with. Um, one summer while we were in college, he spent the entire summer in a uh, remote, remote village in western Ethiopia serving the Gumu people. And in this uh, village, like they flew, you know, he flew into Addis Ababa, then he took a little bush plane, and then they took a bus, and then he walked for two days with a donkey. That's how remote this place is. And in that village, there were a large number of lepers. And he told me about how guys were missing toes, they were missing fingers, they were missing noses, lips, ears. That's what leprosy does. Uh, pieces of your body fall. And so this guy doesn't just have leprosy, it says he's full of leprosy. So if this was indeed leprosy, not just a skin condition, this guy's missing body parts. Okay, So he's missing some body parts. He's full of leprosy. And, and if you have leprosy, you are an outcast of society. You were shunned. You were seen by the religious ruling leaders of the day as spiritually unclean, and no one was to come around you. You weren't to be, if you were a good moral person, you didn't associate with these unclean people. But he comes to Jesus, and he says, not just heal me, he says, make me clean. Like spiritually and ceremonially, make me clean. If you just will it, you can do this. And so verse 13, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched them, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left them. And so the, the guy's just, I mean, it, it, great faith here. If you will, you can do this. And so Luke has just been highlighting the power and authority of Jesus for several chapters. It's what he's doing here, showing all the power that he has, the authority that he has. And so this guy says, if you, can ju if you just will it, Lord, you can make me clean. And so Jesus says, I will, bam, leprosy over. I mean, the way I imagine it, if this was indeed leprosy, lips come back, ears come back, nose come back, fingers come back, toes come back. All these pieces that had fallen off now come back. And, 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 and so what you've got is Jesus engaging with someone that the religious rulers considered spiritually unclean, someone that was outcast. Jesus is engaging with this person. Like if you are, like if you are clean in the um, uh, temple sense, you're not to touch something that's unclean or it's going to make you unclean. But that's not the way it works with Jesus. Jesus touches this unclean guy and it doesn't make Jesus unclean, it makes this guy clean. Right? That, uh, for unclean things that, that make Jesus, it's not that Jesus becomes unclean, it's that they get clean. That's the way it works with Jesus. That's the way it works with us. Like If we try to just do stuff that's going to make things become more moral and more clean, it's not going to accomplish anything. But leading folks one person at a time to embrace the love and grace of Jesus will accomplish Everything, primarily God's plan. See, God's plan is not like above all things to come and make the world moral and clean. Jesus is, the reason Jesus came into the world is to save sinners. That's why he came into the world. Above all things. To save those who the world and these religious folks would consider the unclean. And so let me encourage you to engage engage with that. Like I know you guys when when you 
when you're graduating from high school and when you're hearing your you know, valedictorians or whoever it is give a, give a uh, speech at your commencement, they're going to talk a lot, and rightly so, about you guys going and, and changing the world. And I, I want you to do that. Go for that. Do those things. Try to do those things. But the way to change the world is not through petty arguments. The way that the world is changed is by sharing Jesus with one person at a time. By begging God to save that person and by sticking with them through it all and teaching them, once they've become a Christian, to observe all that Christ has commanded. That's how the world's changed. One person at a time. And this idea is not some like, oh, that's a great new idea. That's a great new philosophy. This is just what Jesus said. Forty days after he resurrected from the dead, moments before he ascended into heaven, Jesus stood and told his disciples, go and make disciples. Not converts who just pray a prayer. and they're good. No, make disciples of all the nations. That's not geopolitical countries. That's people groups. Go and make disciples of all the people groups on the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. And so, we got this letter that came out this week, right? This bathroom letter deal that came out this week. That thing is jacked up. Uh, just, yeah. uh, there's some major work that we've got to do uh, on this. I mean, it's just an asinine idea that's good for no one, including our gender-confused friends and neighbors. It's not good for them either. It's a horrible idea. And as much work as we've got to do in even political spheres, the best thing we can do, the absolute best thing we can do is obey the Great Commission and share the gospel with individuals, with the unclean, and with the clean. Like everybody, it's not good guys and bad guys, it's all bad guys and Jesus. Everybody needs the gospel. That's the way you change the world, one person at a time. That's the best thing we can do. So we engage our friends and our neighbors with the gospel. Not with insults, not with put-downs, but with truth spoken in love. Truth spoken in love. And so graduates, change the world. Share the gospel. And if you're in Christ, the end of that, I am with you always. To the end of the age. That is a promise from Christ to everyone who claims his name. Always. And so engage. Get in the game. Don't waste your life on trinkets and toys, but in pursuit of Christ. Fully engaged in him, with him, in his work, and the people he puts around you that the world considers unclean. For the glory of God and for the good of your mankind, engage in what Christ has called you to. All right, so verse 14, Jesus heals this guy. Again, my imagination, 
fingers, nose, toes, all these things are coming back on. And so verse 14, Jesus tells him, and he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Basically what this is in Leviticus 14, people who are unclean, there's a few steps they have to go through ceremonial to be seen as clean and have full participation back in the temple. So Jesus is telling him, hey, I've made you clean. Go take care of that business and get going, worshiping and enjoying me and leading others to do the same. And then verse 15. But now even more. The report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And so word about Jesus and his power and his authority as a teacher over sickness, over evil spirits, over cleanness, over nature is really starting to spread. Again, Luke's been laying this out for several chapters, power and authority. And so people by the thousands now are flocking to hear him preach the good news and to be healed of their infirmities. And so with all that Jesus has going on, with all the teaching that uh, he needs to do, with all the healing that he wants to do, with all the crowds pressing in on him, demanding so much of him, demanding so much of his time, his, his planner or his iCal or his Google Cal or whatever app he's using to plan out his day is slap full, completely. There's no margin in there. It is full. Jesus has a lot to do. But there's one thing that took precedence over every single other thing in his Google Cal. Look at verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. With all that he had going on, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And I think, man, I could be doing so much stuff above that. Like you've probably heard it said before, um, never be too busy to pray. But I think it's better put, like I saw, Sarah's got a book, and it says, too busy not to pray. That's really the idea here. We are far too busy like, to, to not, we've got to pray. Like with all you guys are going to have going on with school and with work and with everything else that you're going to be doing with, and goodness gracious, when you get older and now you've got bills and you've got kids and you've got to shuttle people here and there as your parents have been doing for you. They're, they're praising you guys. You need to say thank you to them as well. But it's busy as you get with all of those things. You're too busy to not Beg God for his help. You've got to have his help. And just practically, if Jesus needed to withdraw and pray, who are we to think, nope, I'm good. I got it. Like I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but are you smarter than Jesus? Are you stronger than Jesus? Do you have better time management skills than Jesus? We've got to engage in order to change the world. And we have to withdraw in order to change the world. We've got to get alone and pray. And I want, to, I want, to, I want you to understand, this isn't just like a one-time thing that Luke's mentioning here. Luke has already drawn, like in, chap, in the Gospel of Luke alone, Luke draws our attention to this in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, in chapter 9, in chapter 11. Right, this is something that Jesus did continually. He could have healed people all the time and never taken a break. He could have 
preach the gospel all the time and never taking a break, but he said, those things are important. Be more than that, I need to spend time with my father. I need to withdraw to a desolate place and spend time with my father. And so, verse 16, it says, but he would withdraw. Not, he, he did withdraw this one time, the, the grammar. He would withdraw. This is a continuing action. Starts here and continuing. This is just part of who he was. This is just his habit of life. And graduates, this has got to become a habit of your life. And it's not so much an obligation that it needs to become a habit. But it's an invitation from Christ for this to be your habit. For you to commune with the God of the universe by letting him talk to you through his word and you talk to him through prayer. He's inviting you in. This is a gift. It's not so much an obligation, but it's an invitation from the God of the universe saying, I want to talk with you. I want to be, I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to guide you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so prayer it is an invitation to personal communication with God. It's not an activity. It's a relationship. It's kind of like um, Paul Miller puts it like this in his book, A Praying Life, that I've recommended for you guys to read before. He says, a praying life feels like our family mealtimes because prayer is all about relationship. We don't think about communication or words, but about whom we're talking with. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. It's not an activity. It's a relationship, and it should feel like supper time with your father, where you just come home, and you're not worried about the words that are coming out of your mouth. Am I saying this right? Do I say? You just blabber to your father, and he loves you, and he listens, and he's excited to hear from you. He wants to speak to you through his word. That's what prayer is. And so we need to engage, but you also need to withdraw and spend time. Withdraw to desolate places. Withdraw and be alone with just you and God. And that's my charge to you for this next phase of your life. That you'd remember, engage. Go hard with what the Lord's given to me and what he's put in my life. But take time to withdraw and spend time alone with him. Commit yourself never get so busy with all the books that you've got that you forget the one book that you need. This is the, these are the words of truth and life. That's why we gave them to you. And we gave you room in there to write in them. It's a journal Bible. You have room. You have a good space right there. Plenty of room to, to write. And note and pray and make notes. And so let me employ you with all that I can to take up the word of God and read it every single day. To withdraw, to engage well. Listen, to engage well, you have to withdraw well. Cars don't run without gas. And people don't run out of gas either. We need the church. We need one another. We need to be alone with our Father. And so engage with truth and in love and withdraw to the Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these graduates. I thank you for what you have done in their lives. 
And I thank you for what you are going to do in their lives. And how, as Pastor Chad prayed, it will be a mixture of beautiful, incredible things to mix with pain as well. Because that is the human experience in a fallen world. It's not always peaches and cream. It is sometimes. But there's also stormy days and weeks and seasons. So I pray you would prepare these men and women for that. And that they would walk with you and that they would engage with the gifts and the talents and the opportunities and the platforms you've given them for your glory and for the good of, their man, uh, of mankind. And that they would also withdraw to be recharged in the midst of their busyness. That's even more important. Bless them and do great things in their lives. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name.